A photographer unpacks his equipment in the most beautiful of the Driscoll Hotel's rooms, the famed Maximilian Room. This room is a sight to behold. Gilded opulence, stately glamour from a bygone era. The photographer snaps a test photo of the room's pièce de résistance, eight elaborate gold-leaf mirrors. He admires them. Where did something like this come from? Never mind. Today he's here to shoot brides for a local catalog. Almost ready, he calls behind him without looking up. He pauses. There's suddenly a chill in the air, like someone just opened a window in the dead of winter. But it's broad daylight on a spring afternoon, bridal season, till death do us part. The man shivers. He sets up his tripod, shaking it off. This is going to be a perfect backdrop. Everything about the Driscoll Hotel is elegant, first class. Uh, let's try right here. He turns. The man does a double take. A woman stands behind him, but not the model he was hired to shoot. The photographer gazes at her through the mirror. She's otherworldly, elegant, regal, certainly worthy of being photographed. And her gown is drastically out of place. It's period costume, a dramatic antebellum gown, stunning crimson details. She reaches out with her slender hand as if to say something. Her hands are starkly pale. The veins are bloodless. Something is broken about her appearance. Her eyes have seen destruction. She leans in, close enough to take a bite out of him. He whirls around to face her. She's gone. Who's there? He turns again towards another one of the massive mirrors, as if he's in a hall of mirrors trying to find her again. Walking swiftly away, he catches her in another mirror. There she is. Uh, excuse me. He turns again, but no one's in the room. He turns again. Where did she go? The photographer looks back. He sees the woman's manicured brown ringlets passing through another mirror. Do his eyes deceive him? Uh, hey! He tries to follow the sound of the swishing of her petticoat. <laughs> Silence. The encounter is over. Shaken, but relieved, the man relaxes and looks at his face in the mirror. What just happened? He casts his eyes downward and notices something he's never seen before. The woman he just saw, her image is carved into each mirror. He whirls around the room. Her face surrounds him everywhere he looks. <laughs> this is just another day at the Driscoll, according to many visitors and employees. Who is standing beside you? Who is watching you? who was trying to whisper in your ear. The mysterious woman in the mirror is not the only disembodied being with something to tell you. Welcome. 
Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every other Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the impressive and storied Austin, Texas landmark, the Driscoll Hotel, where every room tells a story. To this day, it's haunted. If you can't get enough haunted places, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast directory, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. If you like what you hear, I would greatly appreciate it if you took a moment to leave a five-star review. It takes a second, but it helps me out tremendously. Was the Driscoll Hotel always doomed to attract lost and wayward souls? In the late 1800s, Austin is still a cow town. It isn't the thriving music capital of the world we know today. A podunk hodgepodge of uncouth forsaken types. Cowboys, outlaws, transients, and ne'er-do-wells. The area surrounding Austin is primarily inhabited by Native Americans. And beyond that, unbridled wilderness. Enter Jesse Driscoll. A well-known cattle baron, he often comes to Austin, as Austin marks the southern end of the Chisholm Trail, the primary route to drive cattle from Texas to Kansas. Jesse is a man's man, and a ladies' man. He runs things around here. He made his name providing beef to the Confederate Army during the Civil War, and his cattle herds were so numerous, he was able to weather the storm, even after Confederate dollars proved useless. And with this growing fortune, he's ready to invest in a plot of land, an entire city block that will become his hotel of dreams. The war is over, and Jesse's ready to go from country boy to city boy. Jesse Driscoll is adventurous, fearless. A married man, Jesse still exudes the swagger and stature of a man living the good life in a city he was molding. He transitions from rancher to a man about town. Jesse spares no expense for this hotel. He enlists the best builders, renowned architects, the finest tapestries and art. He mounts animal heads on the walls, a living symbol of his trophies and conquests. He creates his palace to be the finest hotel south of St. Louis. And it is. The Driscoll sets Jesse back $400,000, an obscene amount of money for 1886, but it's worth it. The rooms themselves cost two to five dollars, a hefty price for the 19th century. But the rooms have something very rare for the era, attached bathrooms. Maybe this unique and compelling quality is why there's so much ghoulish activity reported in the bathrooms bony handprints on a fogged-up mirror, wet footprints leading into the wall. But the Hotel of Dreams turned into Jesse Driscoll's nightmare. People had told him that he was foolish to spend so much money on a hotel in the middle of nowhere. Jesse's a confident man, and he enjoyed much success in one industry. But now, was he flying a little too close to the sun? The cattle baron's luck turns. 
even before he has a chance to make a success of it. Before it is even open a year, Jesse is forced to close the hotel, after a hotel in idyllic Galveston took half of his staff. Reliable employees are hard to come by in these early cowboy days. And to make matters worse, an unseasonably cold spring claims almost all of Jesse Driscoll's remaining cattle herds. Nothing can go right for Jesse Driscoll and his big dreams. In a last-ditch effort to save himself from ruin, Jesse takes one last gamble. He risks it all in a poker game with his brother-in-law, Jim Day. Jesse's a gambler, not just at the table, but also in life. And Lady Luck was no longer with Jesse Driscoll, and perhaps no longer with the Driscoll Hotel. Although, was it ever? Jesse Driscoll loses everything. He tries, but he never recovers. As if he has nothing left in him, he passes abruptly of a stroke within two years. While his brother-in-law Jim Day becomes the hotel's second owner, the hotel falls into a pattern of changing hands over the years, undergoing renovations that always bring about improvement, but still changes hands at a loss. This goes on for almost a century. In 1969, the Driscoll is nearly demolished until a nonprofit group steps in and raises the nearly million dollars required to save it and have it designated as a historical landmark. Since its reopening in 1972, it has been profitable. But this is the fascinating balance the Driscoll Hotel strikes. Glamorous landmark for the rich and influential and cursed money pit plagued for almost a century by financial troubles and an unusual amount of deaths. But who doesn't want a little aspirational living before bidding adieu to this dimension? Certainly count Jesse Driscoll in. He's one of the more commonly seen specters around here. Perhaps his presence is what kept this place from being profitable for so many years. His financial ruin cast a pall that was nearly impossible to shake. You might sense him first by the smell of his cigar. But oftentimes, he manifests as a full-bodied apparition. Jesse Driscoll loved a rollicking good time, and he's been known to show himself to women, if you catch my drift. Forewarned is forearmed, ladies. Arguably, the most beautiful of the Driscoll's rooms is the Maximilian Room. Originally, it was the men's smoking room, a reclusive nook for the good old boys and drinkers. But this dates back to the days when women had a separate entrance, just so they didn't have to interact with the less savory cowboys who had a way of taking over the main lobby. When the Driscoll went through one of its overhauls in 1930, one of the improvements to the smoking lounge was to transform it into a grand dining hall, which is still used today. One of the notable additions during this transformation was the inclusion of eight stunning gold French mirrors that were purchased from an antique store in San Antonio. They aren't just gold, but layered with sterling silver and diamond dust to give them an even greater sheen. But the mirrors have a tragic backstory. 
much like many of the wayward souls that find their way here. The mirrors were intended to be a gift from Ferdinand Maximilian of Austria to his Belgian wife, Carlotta. When Napoleon offered them the opportunity to be the first monarchs of his new empire in Mexico, they jumped at the chance. In 1864, they became the emperor and empress of France's puppet regime there. Ambition and greed overtook Maximilian. His family advised him not to go, but his brother was emperor of Austria. He wanted his own land to rule. Carlota went for love. But the Wild West of the 1880s proved too much for such fine-bred Europeans. Napoleon abandoned them in the New World. He withdrew his armies from Mexico in 1886, the year the Driscoll was opened. Napoleon had enough problems at home. He couldn't bother with Maximilian and Carlota. Carlota fled back to Europe, where she tried to implore Napoleon to help them. He wouldn't, and it was too late. Maximilian was deposed and executed in 1867. Their home was pillaged, looted. Carlota remained in Europe, where she suffered an emotional collapse and descended into madness. Even as her sanity retreated, her love for her murdered husband she had left in the Americas only grew. She became obsessed with the remaining possessions they had shared together. It was all she had left of their perilous journey together. And what more exquisite possessions could she ask for than the mirrors that she never received? Gilded, her finely boned face meticulously carved into each one, ornate and imperial like Vini's life she had left behind. Mirrors designed as a tribute to her husband's love and devotion for her, stolen before she could return for them, and to wind up in a secondhand shop in San Antonio. A dastardly fate for such regal objects. She is the woman from the top of the podcast that our photographer saw that day of his catalog shoot. When she was alive, she never visited the Driscoll Hotel. How did her spirit find its way here? Is she here to collect what is rightfully hers? Or has she found a resting place far away from the tragedy of her life in the world where she last saw her husband? Empress Carlota is unusual in that she is a disincarnate spirit who never visited the Driscoll while in human form. Most of our visitors spent some time at the hotel. In fact, a few of the unusual reported suspects haunting the hallways are former employees who wouldn't want to spend the afterlife at work. If you see a polished man dressed in a 1930s suit, that's the general manager of the Driscoll Hotel in 1933. When President Roosevelt closed the bank suddenly for a month, anyone staying at the Driscoll suddenly found themselves with no access to cash. So, the hotel manager did something unusual. He gave cash to whoever needed it. His only request was that the guests pay it back when the banks opened again. And surprisingly, everyone did. So, what keeps him in the grips of this hotel? He collected all of his debts. Perhaps he likes to keep company with another employee prone to haunting the hotel. Mrs. Bridges is a ghost from the earlier days. You sense her coming by the strong aroma of flowers that follows her wherever she goes. 
Mrs. Bridges sticks around to make sure that customer service is up to muster and that the tidiness of the lobby is in ship shape. She's been known to shush employees that are getting too raucous late at night. One of the more intriguing sightings is of PJ Lawless. He can be seen acknowledging guests in a way that many don't. Perhaps this is because PJ's life work required him to interact with many, many people. PJ was a ticket agent at the Great Northern Railroad in the early 1900s. And while that might sound like he was constantly on the rails, he lived at the Driscoll for decades, over 30 years in fact. He even stayed there when it was closed and in between owners. So some might say, you are in PJ's house. He's one of the more recognizable spirits roaming the premises. Dressed in his turn-of-the-century railroad employee's uniform, he's hard to miss. You'll see him, glancing down at his watch, as if checking that everything is going according to schedule. Is it time? Is his train finally coming? Or is yours? Our story will continue in a moment, right after the break. And now, let's continue the story. You've just returned to the Driscoll, where your room is on the fifth floor. You're a little tipsy, dead tired. You've had a good night, but you're so tired you're bleary-eyed, trying not to stumble around like a zombie. As the elevator doors close behind you, you make your way softly down the hallway, where your luxurious bed awaits. Not a soul around. As you turn the corner towards your room, you see the partitioned-off area of the floor under deep renovation. And then you see a woman walking towards the rooms undergoing heavy construction. She's carrying so many shopping bags, you wonder how she can manage. Uh, Hey, you say, need any help? You're doing your best to extend some southern hospitality. The woman turns, finally taking notice of you. She has piercing eyes, her skin a bit ashen. Something is off. And it's not just her French braid and crispy curled bangs, which are decidedly dated. Are those Jordash jeans? Hmm. She smiles, a little sad but also a little mischievous. You smile back nervously. Something about it unsettles you. Maybe you shouldn't have offered to help. A breeze rustles the plastic tarps covering the construction area. Where could that breeze be coming from, you wonder? I've got it, she responds serenely. You shiver at the hollow sound in her voice. Relieved, you can go on your way. You glance again at the tarps moving, a darkness behind them. Where could that breeze be coming from? You can't help yourself. Uh, Doesn't all that noise bother you? You ask the woman. You have the distinct feeling that she's laughing at you, not with you. No, it doesn't, she replies. You watch her go, straight towards the pitch-black part of the hallway. You can't put your finger on it, but something is off. 
You can feel it in the pit of your stomach. That night, you toss and turn in bed. The next morning, you wake up bleary-eyed, haunted by the odd encounter, the woman's sallow skin, her pointed detachment. You must get to the bottom of this. You make your way to the front desk for checkout. After exchanging pleasantries about your stay, you get to the heart of it. Why would someone be staying in the part of the hotel being renovated? The front desk attendant shakes his head. But I saw someone, you insist. The man looks at you like you must be crazy. She was carrying a bunch of shopping bags. Desperation creeps into your voice. I, I saw her. I saw what room she was going to. He can see the panic in your face. What room was it? He asks. 525. You should investigate. Your voice is urgent. Someone was there. I, I know she entered that room. The man agrees to help you. You hurry back upstairs, long, darkened hallway towards room 525. He pulls back the tarp in front of room 525 and takes out a key. He opens the door. Your heart drops. The room is empty. There is no furniture. Everything is covered in plastic. You stumble back in disbelief, shaking your head. You know what you saw. The man turns to you. You saw her then. Yes, you say, desperate to not be going crazy. Not everyone sees her, you learn. But she still comes here with her shopping bags. Her last triumphant moment before... You jump as the door slams behind you. Before what? You whisper nervously. Before she killed herself. The woman you saw last night was a Houston bride who was last seen walking down that hallway, overloaded with shopping bags, one late night in the early 1990s. It's not the first time someone has seen the jilted woman reliving her final act of glory and defiance. Her groom called off the wedding. Humiliated, furious. How do you exact revenge on the one who betrayed you? She stole his car. She drove to Austin with his credit card and treated herself to a room at the Driscoll. Maybe she wanted to live out a pretty woman fantasy. She splurged. She treated herself to every little thing she wanted on his dime. But shoes can't bring back the love of your life. And so after she dealt the blow to his card, she dealt one final blow. She shot herself in the stomach, muffling the noise with a pillow. It took the staff days to discover the body. The Driscoll was built for privacy, boasting 18-inch thick walls. These walls can keep a secret. And yet she's not the only bride who took her life in the most macabre way. The stories say that both suicides happened in room 525, 20 years apart, to the day. Coincidence? So who was this other bride 20 years earlier? Both of these stories are incredibly difficult to find specific information on. Dates, names, Perhaps this level of privacy is why these individuals chose the Driscoll as their final resting place to begin with. 
Our other bride was due to wed here at the Driscoll itself. But the night before, the groom called it off and she hung herself. Legend has it that both of our brides took their last breath in the bathrooms of their rooms, which is incidentally where most people report most of their encounters. Problems with lights, faucets inexplicably being turned on and off. Is it possible 20 years later, our shopping bride returned to see the other suicide bride waiting for her with a message? With the choice to freedom, to end the pain, Maybe someday they'll tell you. And yet the oddest and most concrete report of the haunting of room 525 comes from the construction workers themselves. Room 525 sat untouched for many years, and any current staff members cannot remember what it was like before it had closed. However, once it reopened in 1998, problems continued to percolate. The room, freshly painted, oddly began to peel. It was repainted, and yet the walls continued to peel. Why was it only happening in this room? The room had been repainted four times. Was there a simple explanation? Or was it something more ghoulish, like the nails of a specter clawing to rejoin the living? Even more disturbing... An unplugged air conditioning unit resting in the middle of the floor blew cold air. How could this be? Certainly some sort of an electrical malfunction, right? Or is it the breath of a ghost making its presence known through the inexplicable phenomena? And then once picked up and moved, it stopped. But the humming didn't stop there. One worker reported a strange but noticeable humming in his chest when he first entered the room. The room had been blocked off for years, so it took him by surprise when he saw that the bathtub was filled with crystal clear water. The floor was dry, the faucet was not dripping, and the room had rested untouched for years. Was the humming in his chest simply fear? Or was he sensing another presence in the room? Was this room truly untouched? Some report seeing wet footprints in their rooms, even when they haven't showered. And still others report their feet being tickled. Maybe it's just a breeze from the air conditioning unit. Just make sure it's plugged in. (laughs) Do these women actually haunt the Driscoll? Does the story of them alone spook people and cause the mind to play tricks? Either way, the incidents during the renovation phase indicated that something strange was afoot. And as they say, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. Now, our story continues. The internet loves an unexplained mystery. And any cursory Google search will lead you to bloggers divulging their personal experiences with the alleged supernatural. Knocking on the door, but no one's in the hallway. Lights going out suddenly, but the electricity is still on. The whispers persist on a daily basis. Some reports of haunting 
even find their way onto the Driscoll's TripAdvisor page. Should you get reimbursed if your room is haunted? Reviewers have some strong opinions on the matter. The encounters with spirits aren't from another time and place, myths from a bygone era. They persist to this day. Some are even recounted by celebrities. Perchance Austin's reputation as a live music hub attracts some rock and roll ghosts. Singer Annie Lennox of the Eurythmics had her own run-in at the Triscoll while on tour in Austin. The story goes like this. Before getting in the shower, she lays two dresses on the bed, unable to decide what she's going to wear for the evening. She studies them. She'll have to think on this. The singer enters the shower, unaware that anything else could be going on in the room. I mean, why would there be? The singer exits the shower. Wrapped in a towel, she walks back into her room. The singer stares at the bed in disbelief. Is someone in the room? She looks around. The door is closed. There's no sign of entry. But something impossible has happened. One of the dresses has gone missing. A chill runs down her spine. She inspects the side of the bed. Did it fall off? It's not there. Where could it have gone? There it is. The dress was folded and repacked back in her bag as if she had never removed it. Astounded. The singer realizes the decision over which dress to wear was made for her by someone or something. The lead singer of alternative rock band Concrete Blonde, Jeanette Napolitano, also described a personal encounter with a ghost. None other than the famous cattle baron himself, Jesse Driscoll. So struck by the first-hand meeting, she penned a song in tribute to the Texas ladies' man, and the song is eponymously titled. Clearly, his reputation preceded him. I saw a face in the shower door. A cowboy smile came and faded. I reached for my towel on the floor. I didn't think it was exactly where I'd laid it. You don't scare me. You don't scare me, I said to whatever it was floating in the air above my bed. He knew I'd understand. He was the ghost of a Texas ladies' man. Was the ghost of Jesse Driscoll snooping on another attractive woman that had stopped into his establishment? Or was Jesse Driscoll seeking one more way to be etched into history, a ghostly muse for a song? Maybe someday, a willing guest will find out why Jesse Driscoll still lurks in the corners of his failed enterprise, unwilling to leave the place that was the cause of his ruin. One of the most pervasive and popular ghost stories at the Driscoll surrounds four-year-old Samantha Houston, a senator's daughter. April, 1887. It's the Driscoll's first year in business, and it's made a splash on the scene. The place to see and be seen if you're passing through or part of the burgeoning city limits. It's a place for men of social stature and importance. The Driscoll is home to the state of Texas's 20th legislature meeting. 
Sam Houston's flamboyant youngest son, Temple Lee Houston, is a Texas senator. Handsome, just 27 years old. And he's brought with him his wife, Laura, and their daughter, Samantha. The family has traveled all the way from the remote Texas panhandle to be here. It's good to be back in a city. Temple is known to be a brilliant trial lawyer, and he thrives in these settings. One night during their stay, Temple and Laura retired to their room with Samantha. Temple, however, must stay up. He gets engrossed in his work. He's a fiery orator, cut from the cloth of his father. Effusive, intelligent. He's known to pepper his speeches with literary illusions, and his focus goes deep. He works while his family slumbers. Or do they? Young Samantha is bored. She can't sleep. What are the children to play with? She grabs her leather ball and slips out of the room into the corridor. Samantha makes sure not to make a peep. It's quiet now, being so late. And she'll be quiet. She just wants to play with her ball without waking Mommy up. This is fun. The hallways are so wide, so much space to run. Samantha, you should really watch where you're going. The child's limp, lifeless body was discovered at the foot of the grand staircase, just a year into its business, and Samantha Houston became the Driscoll's first victim. The incident made waves. Reports vary as to whether Driscoll or Houston commissioned the painting, but nonetheless, Samantha's death prompted a painting to be hung on the wall of the fifth floor. Over the years, it became well-known amongst the guests, and not because of the artistry or the subject matter. It became known because it is believed that the child's spirit lives in the painting. In the painting, the young child innocently holds a bouquet of flowers and a letter. Viewers report that if you gaze long enough into her eyes, they start to shift. The expression changes. Some even report a queasiness that settles in, a nausea. Perhaps the kind of nausea you might feel at the sight of your child lying dead in the middle of a hotel lobby. And while some even claim to have the sensation of being lifted off the ground in the presence of the painting, the portrait has been proven to be modern. It's not the original commissioned portrait, but a proxy for the first painting of Senator Houston's daughter. But maybe the originality of the painting doesn't matter. Maybe it's just the effigy itself, a placeholder for the spirit of the young senator's daughter. Because her eyes just moved, didn't they? Or is your mind just playing tricks on you? Next time you find yourself in Austin, perhaps you'll meet some of these spirits yourself. And maybe you'll discover why they still pester the guests, reliving their life stories and final moments for decades. That is, if you're brave enough to listen. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. Don't forget to subscribe to Haunted Places on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. 
If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every other Thursday. We'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Ron Shapiro. With production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Gina Machusik. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>